Hey, it's uh, great, to, great to see you all. I, uh, I want to uh, welcome all the campuses. I think I, I, think I got them all. Uh, Crystal Lake, Huntley, uh, Chicago, North Shore, South Lake, Wheaton, South Barrington, the cafe, and those of you that are watching online. I'm so proud of myself. I got all that right. Hey, I got to tell you, my, my name is Mike. In case we had a chance to meet, uh, Mike Bro is my name. It's been 11 years. Uh, since I've actually stood in this place. And I just got to say, I've, I've, I've uh, really missed y'all. And uh, by the way, last night, I got a tour of the incredible care center. I, I've never seen it. I mean, it is, if you haven't been there, you need to go check it out. It is, it is unreal. I, think, I just thought as I was walking through, it's so cool to be known as a church where people can find help. I was, I was just blown away. Uh, I live in uh, Ventura, California, where we have no 2020 rule. Um, I'm a teaching pastor at a bunch of really great churches uh, out there in Southern California, and just simply trying to help people find and follow Jesus and have the time of my life. Uh, my wife Debbie and I have nine grandkids. Uh, here's a picture of us uh, recently. Uh, we had we had nine stockings hanging up from our fireplace mantel. It was crazy. I know it's hard to believe coming from a 38-year-old guy, but it's true. Um, we started early. Our kids started early. Now we got kids like running everywhere. And we, we just feel so super blessed uh, to have them in our life. And I feel really blessed to get to be with you guys uh, this weekend. And I'm really stoked to kick off a series walking through the Gospel of John, just looking at the life of Jesus. Now, if you want a great read in 2019, you've got to read John. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament of the Bible. They're called the Gospels. They're kind of biographies of Jesus' life, what he said, what he did, who he encountered, and what he was like when he encountered them. And the Gospel of John was written primarily from the perspective of Jesus' best friend, a guy who happened to be named John. And the word gospel literally means good news. A man is this good news. When I was 25 years old, uh, somebody told me, he said, bro, that's my name, by the way, bro, he said, you need to... You need to uh, you just sit down and write like a life mission statement. And I'd never done anything like that before. So I, I, I sat down and I just got a legal pad and pen. And I started writing different paragraphs about the kind of guy that I wanted to be with God's help. And I wrote down, you know, what kind of husband I wanted to be. I wrote down what kind of dad I wanted to be. I wrote down what kind of friend I wanted to be, what kind of uh, leader I wanted to be, what kind of teacher I wanted to be, all that kind of stuff. And I had a paragraph about each one. And, and those have served me through the years to look at that and kind of like a, sort of like a, a picture of the future to hang on my heart. Uh, so that I would pursue that, that picture and try, strive to be that, that guy with, with God's help. And, and then, then I tried to come up with just one, a one-sentence life mission statement. And this is where I landed when I was 25 years old. I just wrote, I want to look, love, and live like Jesus. That's it. Now, I got a long, long, long way to go. But I'm telling you, it sure is a mission worth pursuing. He is the person I most admire. He's the person I most respect. He's the person I most want to be with. He's the person I most want to be like. And I, I believe that Jesus not only came to lay down his life for our sins so we could live forever. That's huge, don't get me wrong. But I, but I believe that Jesus also came to show us what God is really like. So if you've been wondering what God is really like, you've got to read John this year. And I love the very first chapter of John. And I really encourage you, when you to read it today in its entirety when you, when you get home. It is like this grand 
overture. Or it's sort of like, for me anyway, like an amazing movie trailer where John is saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the creator of giraffes and galaxies comes the epic story of when God became man. Fasten your seatbelts for the thrill ride of your life as you watch the Word of life, the light of the world, the Lamb of God do jaw-dropping miracles, heal the blind, touch the lepers, confound the skeptics, and rise from the dead. His name is Jesus, the pre-existent creator of everything, who became flesh and moved into our neighborhood full of truth and grace. Now playing in the Bible near you. That's pretty much. And yes, I read that word for word from the first. No, I didn't. You need to read the first chapter of John. It'll, it'll blow you away. You just got to read it. And then he closes his gospel like 20 chapters later by pretty much saying, okay, okay, I, I got to stop now. But believe me, I could have gone on and on and on. In fact, there, there's, there would not be a library big enough to contain all the books that could be written about all the amazing things I heard Jesus say and saw Jesus do and people that Jesus met. I'm telling you, Jesus is the greatest person you'll ever meet in your life. So I am super excited for you to meet him or to get reacquainted with him during this series. And today we're just going to hang in the first few verses that they gave me for this weekend it's in chapter 1 of John, verses 35 through 39. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to it or got an app that you use. We'll put it on the screens as well because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this little chunk uh, from the message. It says this, the next day John, he wasn't talking about himself, talking about a guy named John the Baptist. You ever heard of that guy? You may have heard of him. Very unique guy, wore like thrift store clothes and was on the first keto diet. Um, he's the one who baptized people in the Jordan River. He's the one who proclaimed that there was one coming greater than he that was going to like reconcile God to man. That John. Well, that John was back at his post with two disciples who were watching. He looked up and saw Jesus walking nearby and he said, here he is. That's the guy I've been talking about. God's Passover lamb, the lamb of God who will become the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world. Well, the two, the two disciples heard him and went after Jesus. And Jesus looked over his shoulder and said to them, what are you after? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He replied, come along, see for yourself. Like I said, we live in Ventura, California, and I'm involved in a, a little Monday morning Bible study with a bunch of guys at a house. And the guys that are in the Bible study are a lot like these first followers of Jesus. They're curious, they're raw, they're real. Many of the guys are, are broken and, and searching. Uh, many of them are counting days clean uh, in recovery. Most have never, ever read a Bible like ever. And we were just going verse by verse through, through the Gospel of John a couple of years ago. And I can't remember exactly what story we were reading about Jesus, but you get to see the lights coming on for this one particular guy. And he just blurts out right in the middle of the Bible saying, man, Jesus is blanking awesome. I went, yes, he is. Yes, he is. So a few weeks ago, I asked these guys the same question that Jesus turned around and asked those first followers. I said, if Jesus were to turn around and ask you guys, what are you after? What would you say? So I'm going to ask you the same question today. If Jesus turned around and asked you in following him, maybe some of you are just starting to follow him, maybe you've been following him for a long time, what are you after? What are you after? Well, I, well the guy said a lot, uh, but I'm going to give you their, their top three, kind of like 100 people surveyed, top three, 13 people surveyed, top three answers on the board. And checking in at number one, the first thing they said was all wrapped around acceptance. Acceptance. 
They said, you know what? I, I just wanted to know I'm okay, that I'm accepted, that I'm in. Because most of my life, man, I've been left out. I've been picked last or not picked at all. I've always been pushed to the side. I was, always thought I didn't measure up. I was always told I would never amount to anything. I always felt less than. I've wrestled with insecurity since I was a kid, which led to all kinds of unhealthy behavior in my life. I felt all kinds of shame that just made me hide. And I've, I've wondered, will I ever be accepted? And then I started reading about and hearing about Jesus. And it sure seemed like to me that Jesus accepted the most unlikely of people. In fact, I noticed that the people who were least like Jesus, liked Jesus. And Jesus liked them. And I started wondering, would he like me? I mean, how does God see me? Because I want to know. I want to know who I am. I want to be able to walk confident in the, in the way that he uniquely made me. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am loved. And it didn't surprise me that the guy said that because that's been my journey too. In fact, I think all of us are on that same journey. There's this guy named Solomon in the Old Testament of the Bible. He, he tried all kinds of stuff in order to be somebody. And you would think that because he was a wealthy, powerful king, he would feel like accepted. But this is what he concluded in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 22. He said, what a person desires, what they're really after is unfailing love. What a man, what a woman is really after is an unfailing love. And gang, I've learned there's only one place you can get that. I mean, the phrase unfailing love appears in the Bible 40 times. And every time it appears, it is attached to the only one who can actually give it. Here's just a small sample, just a, just a few verses. Psalm 32, 10. Unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. 33, 5, the, the Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is filled with his unfailing love. Psalm 36, verse 7, how priceless is your unfailing love, both high and low among men. Find refuge in the shadow of your wings, the shadow of your embrace. Psalm 130, verse 7, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love and an overflowing supply of salvation. My daughter, Jody. Uh, has always been able to kind of flow. Like she, she writes these spoken word things, like a rap. And it's amazing the stuff she does. And whenever I try to do it, I'm just going to warn you right now, I'm from Kentucky. So when you get like country and rap, it kind of becomes crap. So I'll, 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 I'll try my best to, to do her justice. But, but this is what she wrote uh, several years ago. She wrote, I have wanted to be in, to be in the in crowd in the loop, in the know, among the proud, not left out, but to be allowed to be in. I have wanted to be in. Wear clothes that are in style, a trendsetter and versatile, just the right cut and perfect smile. I have wanted to be in. To, look at, to be looked at as someone who has much, all the in music on my iPod touch, on the latest and greatest stuff and such, I have wanted to be in. But I have felt aggravated, frustrated, unappreciated, slated as someone who was underrated, unimportant, unknown, unseen, average, mediocre, routine, beneath, below, beyond a chance, inconsequential, insignificant. But Jesus, like people like me, took notice of a blind man and made him see, saw a locked up kid and set him free, told little Zacchaeus, get out of that tree, Felt it when a desperate woman touched his cloak, knelt beside a dead girl, and up she woke, hung out with the down and out and broke, offered hope to the forgotten with just the words that he spoke. Touched a man with leprosy, 
who others would mock, touched the mouth of the mute, and at once they could talk, forgave a woman at a well who was a laughing stock, came to lowly shepherds who smelled like their flock. In the company of sinners is where he would eat. Defend an adulterer, make her accusers retreat. Made followers out of men who were crooked cheats. Let the tears of a prostitute anoint his feet. And suddenly, dramatically, miraculously, undeniably, they were in. In his story, in his truth, in his grace, in his purpose, in his eyes, someone great. And I have wanted to be in And since the day I met with him, he took all that I had been, all my fear, my shame, my sin, and changed my life by letting me in. Our God is greater than the past that drowned me, stronger than those chains that bound me, higher than the shame that found me. There is no one like him, none like him. Look what John writes in the first chapter. He says, but to all who believed him, talking about Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Then John writes later in a little letter called 1 John. It's in the back of the Bible. He says this in 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. You want to be in? Want to feel acceptance? Want to have an unfailing love in your life? It's all found through Jesus. The second thing the guy said, that said, I, I, was, I was looking for some truth. I was looking for something real because there's so much fake stuff in this world. I just, I just wondered, is there anything out there that's real? You know, sometimes you have, have something happen in your life that just kind of marks you. And I'll never, I'll never forget this. We, uh, we were living in a little town in Kentucky, and there's a, a brand new department store opening in the town. So they had a big grand opening thing. And uh, so we, we took our family there, and we, we walk in, and my boys, Derek and Drew, were, I think Derek was like seven, and Drew was four. We walk in, and the store had hired some local college students to, to pose as live mannequins. So they're in the front of the store dressed in their fall fashions, you know, frozen pose. And my boys walk up, and Drew, the little guy, goes, Derek, that guy's real. Derek goes, no, he's not. He said, yes, he is. I saw him breathe. Derek goes, he's not real. They're dummies. Dummy, every store's got these things. And about that time, the guy goes, how's it going? <laughs> I mean, Derek freaked out. I mean, and every time, every time we went back in that store, you know what they did? They'd walk over to the mannequins and just kind of poke them. Like, are these things real or are they not? And here's what I've noticed. We're all poking around, looking for something real, something authentic. And gang, Jesus is the real thing. He's genuine. He's authentic. He's true. And and I've been learning that truth is not so much a principle as it is a person. As Jesus himself said, I am the truth. John records these words that Jesus said about himself in John chapter 8, verse 32. He said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. And gang, that's what he wants for all of us. Freedom. And truth and authenticity and humility are the pathway there. Now, in that spirit, I, 
I just want to get super transparent for just a few minutes, and I prayed a ton about this. And I checked with Steve, and he was not, on, on, not only okay with it, but he welcomed it, and that was so encouraging to me. And this is not easy for me. And please know, there is not a hint of bitterness that motivates any of this. And I know that a lot of y'all came to Willow since I served here over a decade ago, and you're thinking, who is this bald guy with a drawl anyway? But with your permission, I'd like to just spend just a few minutes in the spirit of authenticity uh, talking to mainly those of you that are longtime Creekers. I, I feel so humbled to be back. I came here in 2003, and I left a place in Kentucky that I loved to partner with my good friend, Gene Apple, by the way, one of the most humble and gifted leaders I know. And uh, we get to work together at Eastside Church in Anaheim, and that church is just thriving. It's so fun. Well, we were tasked in 2003 to focus on Willow as a local church and transition it uh, into the future. And Willow had meant so much to us. As young pastors, we caught the vision of a church whose doors were open wide for anybody who was looking for hope and unfailing love. And I had been blessed so many years by conferences and seminars and books and messages. And I mean, I am so grateful for, for the impact on my life. And there had been times when I was here as a guest teacher that I sensed and I was even told that there was a need for just some freshness and change. And, and then I was petrified that God would ask me to be a part of the team that would try to lead that change. So I left everything I loved, my church, my family, my friends, my hometown, because I just felt very, very called to partner with Gene and others to bring whatever freshness that God wanted to blow through the place. And I have spent countless hours in my head saying, search me, oh God, kind of discerning why I came here in the first place. Because motives can get screwed up. They can get convoluted for all of us, even in ministry. And I had to settle some things in my heart. And honestly, I can say that when I came here, I wasn't interested in becoming known I wasn't enamored with speaking at conferences or writing books or having Willow on a resume. After some deep soul searching, I know that I simply came here because I felt deeply in my spirit that God was asking me to. I mean, it actually ripped my heart out to leave a place and people that I loved. And when I got here, you know what happened? I fell in love with many of you, people of Willow. I mean, this church is a community of some of the most kind giving, generous, tender-hearted, sacrificial, passionate people I've ever met in my life. And I loved being on a team with so many wonderfully talented people who serve from a very pure place. Many of them are still around. I'm talking worship leaders, sound engineers, carpenters, custodial crews, administrators, videographers, pastors, parking lot servants, people that love little kids and students with all their heart. I mean, I just, I just fell in love with you. Now, I never did fall in love with the bears or the cubs or the bulls, and uh, I certainly still have a hate-hate relationship with winter. I, I don't care if I ever operate a snowblower ever again in my lifetime, but um, it's because of you and many other people that have been impacted by sin and a lack of truth that my heart's been breaking. And I just want to let you know, I have prayed for you and everybody involved so many times in the last nine months. Now, I would have said, I've prayed for you every day. It's been a lot, but not every day. And the, and the reason I didn't say every day is because that, that wouldn't be completely truthful. You see, that, that's how it starts. It's just a little exaggeration, just a little embellishment, 
just a little like political spin. And before you know it, authenticity takes a leave of absence in our life and we're no longer real. And why do we do that anyway? Well, from my own prideful experience, sometimes it's to make ourselves appear to be something that we're not or maybe to compensate for some inconsistencies or weaknesses in our life. I mean, like Adam and Eve, we try to cover up and hide and we get real defensive because we're afraid of being found in our vulnerability. Sometimes we hide the truth to project an image. Sometimes we do it to protect a brand. Sometimes we do it to cover our tracks. We do it to stay in power and we all do it from time to time. Over the past uh, several months, I've talked with some courageous people who were also once part of the Willow team. Some extremely brave women and some godly guys. Some truth tellers whom I deeply respect and love. Good people. Honorable people with no ulterior motives whatsoever who were wounded, victimized, and or observed some heartbreaking and soul wounding stuff when they were here. And although I was not personally aware of any of the kind of stuff that's been talked about, I did observe firsthand a culture of fear an unhealthy pride and manipulation, a lack of accountability, a lack of authenticity and truth-telling. And gang, just like with any family, any business, any team, any church, that kind of in a culture can breed an environment that enables like unspeakable things to happen and even become a pattern. And I have often wondered and asked God if there's more I could have done. And you know what? I, I have to own and apologize for any lack of discernment or courage on my part. I did uh, go directly to the source and as a brother lovingly and boldly say some things I thought needed to be said. And when nothing changed, I, I went to the group I thought was empowered to do something about it. But I've come to realize that in that system, in that day, this good hearted group of wonderful people were actually powerless. And as a result, I watched some really good, kind, humble, noble people thrown under the bus and their families deeply affected. And honestly, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I left, just kind of quietly disappeared 11 years ago. And a statement was uh, carefully crafted and conveyed to the Willow family that three senior leaders, Gene Apple, Randy Frazee, and myself, were all quote unquote called elsewhere at the same time. And many discerning people sensed that that probably wasn't exactly true. And it wasn't. And I was supposed to come back and teach nine weekends that year. And after that happened, I, I canceled them all. And honestly, because of you, that was really, really tough. But when I did that, I was told that I would never be invited back to speak at Willow. And I responded, well, you know, I'm certainly not perfect in the way I live it out. But authenticity is a core value of mine. Plus, it really, really matters to Jesus. And until the day authenticity returns to the place, I really can't come back. And that's why I'm back today. I... Uh, You know, I really, uh, I really sense that there's hope for a new day.
I mean, I'm praying for that. There are so, so many good, authentic, real people here who are just trying to do the right thing. Uh, men and women that I respect, that all they want to do with their life is just to look and love and live like Jesus. And I'm encouraged by that. And I know there's, there's probably work still to be done. There's no doubt some people that still need to be reached out to and some relationships that need to be restored and there's ownership that still needs to be taken and there's, there's wounds that I know still need to be healed. But I sense a genuine commitment to authenticity, a place where there's like no masks, no pretense, no spin, no carefully crafted to protect the brand kind of statements. We're just gonna be people who humbly, courageously, and lovingly tell the truth. And I wanted you to know the truth about this. Not because I have an ax to grind or anything like that. But simply because withholding the truth destroys families. Families like yours. Families like mine. Families like this one. And transparency and truth sets you free. You're free to be real. You're free to be vulnerable. You're free to be okay with not being okay. It enables you to flourish and thrive in honest relationships. It provides the Holy Spirit of God this, this really rich, good soil in which he can grow all kinds of amazing fruit. I'm talking real fruit, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That, and we start living what Jesus called life to the full. And while it's absolutely true that the truth will set you free, it's also true it can make you miserable for a while. And I know, I know it's been hard on you guys for the past uh, nine months. You've heard some ugly truth, and there, there may be more stuff, but here's what I know. Truth always leads to growth and freedom on the other side. And I just love how a spirit of realness seems to be rising up in this place, and you're focusing on Jesus, the person who is the truth. And I'm honored to stand with you in this season of truth-telling because there's so many people in this world who are out there poking around looking for something real. May it be found in us. When I, uh, My guys are discovering that Jesus is the real thing, and it's just revolutionizing their life, and they're being true about their stuff and, and God has given them some healing. And when I asked them in following Jesus, what else are you after? They said acceptance. They said truth. And one of the main things they said was, I needed some hope, man. I needed some hope. I, I looked across the, the living room at two guys sitting on the couch. And when I asked that question, I said, you know, if Jesus were to turn around and ask you, why'd you start following after me? What are you after? They said, man, I just need to desperately change. I began to wonder, is there any hope for me at all? any hope of freedom, any hope of healing. I mean, will I ever, will I ever be sober and clean? Will I ever kick this habit? Are healthy relationships like even possible for me? Will I ever get out from under all this regret and all this shame? Will I ever experience forgiveness? Will I go to heaven when I die? They said, you know, I just, I just needed to sense that something fresh, something new could happen. I needed some hope that things wouldn't always be this way. I needed some hope. 
You know, there's a lot of things in this life that are overrated. Restaurants get overrated, right? You read on Yelp, it's a great restaurant. You go there, and it's like, that was awful. Or somebody tells you about a movie that was life changing. Oh, you got to see this movie, and you go and fall asleep in the middle of it. I mean, there, there are a lot of things in life that are overrated. Teams get overrated. Vacation destinations get overrated. There's a lot of things in life that are overrated. Hope is not one of them. Hope is not one of them. Our kids planted a church in Ventura uh, seven years ago and just moved into their first building. They'd, they'd been in a movie theater for the first seven years, and they, they bought an old uh, gym, which also was a Halloween store. It's just an old broken-down warehouse, and they renovated it. And when they, when they went in, before they moved in, they painted above the doors to the auditorium what has been their, uh, their mantra uh, since the very beginning. This is what it says across the doors of their auditorium. Hope for everyone. Just hope, hope for everyone. And i got to tell you, it is so cool to see all kinds of people from every conceivable walk of life just coming and finding hope. A few weeks ago at Christmas, I got to stand in that packed out room in that old Halloween store and just sing together in that room with people. We sang that old Christmas song, A Thrill of Hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And I looked, I looked around that room like through my tears thinking, oh, there really is hope for everyone. Painters and plumbers and porn stars and preppies and punks and presidents and pastors and pharmacists and Pharisees. There is hope for everyone. There was another guy who, who, was, there was, another guy who was in Jesus' small group with, with John. His name was Peter. He's a tough guy, fisherman. And later on in his life, he writes these words. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You see, when you follow Jesus... It's not just a wishful thinking, I hope so, kind of hope. You are filled with a rock-solid, I know so, kind of living hope that in the end will not disappoint. One of the guys who was sitting on the couch across from me has become one of my best friends. His name is Keith, and uh, we do life together. We pray together. We, uh, we'll sit on the beach because we can. Uh, <laughs> We, uh, we talk about life, we talk about kids and recovery and sports, and, and we may or may not smoke a cigar together, but he is a, he is a, he is a, he's a great guy. I mean, he's so real, he's so raw. He has wrestled with all kinds of addictions and lots of dysfunction, came out uh, one of the darkest places I've ever met a guy that came from, and now he is, I mean, you wouldn't know it, he is now filled with so much light. And just like me, he's a work in progress, but Man, Jesus is transforming him in amazing ways, and a lot of other people now are finding hope because of his changed life. Just take a look at his story. I ran from God, and I squandered wealth, and I lived lavishly for many years without thought of God. From an early age, I didn't feel accepted, uh, partly because, you know, my mother and my father, when I was born, were incapable at that time in their life to accept the responsibility of a child. My mother had just gotten married 
for her sixth marriage, and and the guy she married was uh, was religious or saved or you know, and and it, and the experience of being whipped with a fiberglass rod and told and scriptures read as is spare the rod, spoil the child. Uh, I had a bad taste in my mouth about scripture right then. The God I knew back then was like a judge, you know, behind when you went to court to drop the hammer and said to hell, you know, and, you know, and I felt that he was a condemning God and that no matter how hard I might try to be a good person, I could never live up to that God, what he wanted from me. I remember my stepfather telling me that for every F and for every U on my report card, I would get five lashes. And I came home with straight U's and straight F's. And I went to school the next day and I was bleeding and cut. And I found this as my opportunity to get out of this house. And I made my way to the principal office and, and I, um, they made me strip my clothes and take pictures, called D Department of Children's Services, and, and removed me from the home. When I was 16 years old, I saw my aunt and my uncle, and they told me, your mother had an aneurysm, and she's in a coma. I had been estranged from my mother after leaving the, the family at that last whipping, and it had been a couple years, and we hadn't really spoke. <clears throat> I went to the hospital, I remember the nurse telling me, you know, sometimes they can hear what you are saying. And I took this opportunity to grab her hand and it was just me and her. And this is probably the first, it was the first time in my life that I told my mother, I said, I love you. And she died while I was holding her hand. The pain from what I experienced right then, maybe it was because I had finally told her I loved her, or, or it was her death, or feeling once more alone. I covered my emotions and my feelings more, more with alcohol and drugs than ever before. It would be the start of my downward spiral. And I kind of ran with my half-brother. We would go into the projects and rob people for drugs and come out of the project with bullet holes in our car. We would break into houses. To drink and to do drugs, you need money, and we didn't have a job. Our job was using. Our job was drinking. And uh, to be able to afford our addiction, we had to come up with creative ideas of how to, to gain more and use more. When I was 22 years old, I went into a bar looking to sell drugs and and I saw a man standing at the bar. I remember he pulled a wad of $100 bills out of his pocket and I said, that guy probably needs drugs. And I went over and said, hey, do you want to buy some drugs? And he's like, no, I don't want any drugs. And I go, well, then buy me a drink. And he goes, well, get a job. And I said, well, I'm trying to find a job. And he said, well, I have a store you can come build some shelves for me in the morning and gave me the address and bought me a drink and thought he'd never see me again. I didn't know where he told me to come to work was an adult bookstore. Um, and I was waiting there for him when he pulled up to build shelves. I stayed with him for 10 years. I went from 
building those shelves to shipping to selling to um, eventually leaving him and starting my own company and becoming Southern California's largest adult distributor. There were only two large distributors in the world and there was me on the West Coast and another guy on the East Coast. I would never use the word pornography because it was too harsh of a word for myself. I didn't want to accept the fact that I was in pornography, so I softened it up with words like adult video distributor. I finally came to a point in my life that nothing was working anymore. I couldn't fix on buying things to cover up those feelings that go way back from when my mother died, or those feelings of feeling alone or feeling um, like an outsider. I can't say I was running to anything because I was running from my past, not realizing that I was running to nowhere. I was in a hurry to get to nowhere. I didn't know that God was starting to intervene in my life and he had a perfect plan for, for changing my life. God knew what he got when he got you. And as long as you're running to, you're running from. And so at this point in my life, I started running to God. I didn't know how I was going to change this big mess that I had. I didn't know how I was going to get out of the business or how I was going to change anything. I just, all I could do was focus on running to God. That was the only thing that seemed to work for me at that moment. And I knew in my heart that I had to make a change. When I finally came to my senses, I had prepared what I could say to God when I came home. But when returning home, I realized it didn't make a difference what I had to say. He took me just as I was. I ran from God and I squandered wealth, and I lived lavishly for many years without thought of God. And he took me back into his arms and accepted me and gave me grace through his son. No matter what you've done, no matter uh, who or where you've been or how far you have run, there's forgiveness and new life in Jesus. There really is hope for everyone. So let me just let me just ask you that same question. What are you after? I mean, what what are you after? Maybe you're saying, I, I want something real in my life. I want something that's true and honest and authentic. I, or I want to know who I am in the eyes of my maker. I, I want to know that I am accepted, that I'm in, that I'm no longer an outsider, that I'm loved with an unfailing love. 
or I want my life to be filled with a rock-solid kind of hope that I know will not disappoint me in the end. Or maybe you're saying, I, I need some direction, man. I need some wisdom for my path. I need a brighter light shine in front of me so I know how to walk and where to walk. And I need somebody I know that will walk with me. I want to experience forgiveness. I want to experience freedom from all this junk. And I don't just want a do-over. I want to, like, become new. I want to be transformed from the inside out. I want to become God's best version of me. I want to live in the assurance that death cannot touch me. I want to live forever. If that's what you're after, all of that and more is found in Jesus. And he says to you, come and see for yourself. Let's pray. Father, so grateful for you, Jesus. Nobody like you. Thank you that you came not only to lay down your life for our sins, but you came to show us what God is really like. As we watch you in this series and read and see what you did and how you interacted and who you hung out with and the things you said and the way you touched and the way you loved and the compassion you brought, may it just give us a fresh new picture of what God is like. Father, it's my prayer that no matter what we might be after in this life today, no matter where we're at on this spiritual journey, some of us may be just starting out and we're sensing today that Jesus is turning around just saying, what are you after? Help us to wrestle with that and really start to seek that as we follow after you. Thank you for meeting all of our needs. Jesus, thank you so much for the, for the wonderful healing that you're bringing into this awesome community of, of believers. Thank you so much for uh, the way you move into our lives and you bring things and do new things that we never thought possible. You just do that. That's the way your hope works. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for changing us. Um, and God, I pray that all throughout this series, as we dig into your word, as we look through the gospel of John that we would just go, I want to be like that guy. I want to, I want to look like him, love like him and live like him. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray.